0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast from a non-Tracky perspective. This episode we are doing Spotlight at the Movies, the strand of our podcast where we look at a film featuring a member of Star Trek alumni either in front of or behind the camera. Today we're covering the film 15 Minutes. The Star Trek.
1: Directed, not it's not directed Robert by Robert Wise. Oh, no, no. not directed by Robert Wise. The film that name-drops uh,
2: Frank Capra an awful lot, which I've got to say, you've got to have some nuts to name-drop Frank Capra in the first ten minutes of your early 2000s thriller film.
0: <laughs> oh, I've got to say... <laughs> One of the oddest name jobs ever for a serial killer to be like, I'm making my snuff movie to be inspired by Frank Capra. I was like, I don't remember any of this in Frank Capra's work, to I, be honest. It would
1: have made so much better if it was like uh, Brian De Palma, like inspired yeah, yeah, me yeah, in Yeah, that would a fitting
0: director for, for this, but no, not that. That's uh, very, very odd. But yes, we are covering uh, 15 minutes. The big Star Trek connection with this one is Mr. Avery Brooks. Uh, of course, played Captain Sisko in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. But we'll get into that later. To help us dissect this film, we're joined by a very special guest, Tom Selinski. How are you doing, sir? Very
2: well, thank you. Thanks very much for having me.
0: Thanks so much for coming on, mate. Um, for our listeners, I'm sure lots of people know who you are already, but for those who don't, who are you and what do you do?
2: Uh, nobody has one job anymore. One of the things I do is I present a film podcast called Best Pick, over three and a half years, we worked our way through every film that had won Best Picture at the Academy Awards in an order determined by picking slips of paper out of a bag at random. Uh, we've now turned all of that research and all of those opinions into a book which is available now wherever books are sold. Best Pick, A Journey Through Film History and the Academy Awards. Uh, we're now just carrying on watching different films as and when we feel like it, uh, with different people uh, and in different modes. Uh, So the podcast continues even though its initial
1: remit has been completed. We set ourselves a thirteen-episode mission just to watch the Star Trek (laughs) films, and now here we are. In regards to best pick, Tom,
0: how are you now going about picking the movies that you're doing now? Now you've completed the mission. Is it just completely at random, or
2: it's not at random? No, lots of people had ideas for other lists we should work through, but because when we did the Best Picture winners. For every film, we also researched what happened to the Oscars that year and what happened in film generally that year. The idea of working through another list which would then necessarily have gaps in it because some of the films on those lists would almost certainly have won Best Picture as well. It just didn't seem to work. So we're just kind of picking films that we like, that we we think other people should see. So it's just been a bit eclectic. Uh, And when we've had guests on, they've brought a film.
0: Cool, cool. I know you considered doing Best Foreign Film the Oscars because of the fact Mm. that, obviously, Best Picture usually, apart from a couple of kind of anomalies like Or Postino or uh, The Parasite, usually locks out foreign films for the Best Picture. I know you considered that, but was that just considered just kind of like too, not niche, but in terms of maybe reduced the amount of kind of people interested maybe? Yeah, a little niche. I
2: mean, this is not a uh, a Joe Rogan-sized podcast by any means, uh, but... More popular, more well-known films do get more listens. I think our most listened-to episode is our episode on Titanic, and that is not a coincidence. But um, the yeah. episode we have coming out, I think it's tomorrow, is on Lady Abelique. Uh, so that's something which is a little bit more obscure. It's a hugely influential film whose influence oh, has been yes. somewhat overshadowed because uh, one or two American films which were influenced by it vastly themselves influenced many more films. Uh, but Lady Abelique is, is fantastic.
1: I bought that for
0: brothers mm. earlier. Oh, did you?
1: Yeah, I got in the got E last Christmas. Oh,
0: wicked, wicked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. It's definitely on my list to check out at some point. So, yeah, not Joe Rogan <laughs> in terms of listeners, but Joe Rogan in terms of no foreigners. Yes.
2: Uh, no. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm, I'm leaving now. It's <laughs> genuinely a difficult
0: sure? one because I, I remember listening to your episode that you did where you kind of wrapped up. Mm kind of like the original mission and that was one of the questions. And it's that difficult thing of obviously best foreign film, there's gonna to be tons of amazing movies in there, really, really good cinema. And it's it's that thing where it's difficult because it's so hard to get so many people to watch subtitled films. Because I think even people who might have gone along with the journey for you with all the Hollywood stuff might not continue to so that, it's so frustrating. Yeah, we still as as uh, director Bong says that four inch barrier. Yeah,
2: that's the one.
0: How did the book version of the podcast come about? Uh,
2: very surprisingly, we we pitched it. We uh, we wrote a proposal. Uh, I was lucky enough to have an in with a decent literary agent, uh, and uh, and she shopped it around, uh, and we uh, we got a deal. Uh, I think we probably would have gone ahead and self-published it anyway but it is nice to have someone in your corner who's going to you know do the do the fiddly bits for you uh, and uh, yeah it exists I've uh, actually I don't have one within arm's reach but uh, yeah I've, I've held it in my hand uh, people tell me they've bought them uh, it's uh, it's a thing yes uh, and um, it contains a lot that's not in the podcast it contains stuff that is in the podcast so hopefully we've got the right balance there between new material and playing the hits uh, and uh, Amazing, it's a great huh? present for people who like movies and maybe don't listen to podcasts.
1: Yeah,
0: congratulations for people to do their own kind of massive work through yes. the uh, best picture list because it's funny. I actually, in preparation for talking to you, I had a look at how many best picture winners I have seen. I've seen sixty. That's not
2: bad. That's about of two the thirds. Best picture
0: winners, like yeah, basically, but not, but not all. Like so, there are definitely ones. To uh, work my way. I think. You actually, haven't seen The uh, Life um, of Emil
1: Zola? <laughs>
0: <laughs> not
1: yet, not yet, not yet. <laughs> I, I my, my score is 74 best fitness. Nice, that's oh, very nice. You just yeah, had
0: yeah. to chump me, didn't you? Well, Tom's us yeah. both. you see them <laughs> fucking on all sides. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: There's no lost pictures, is there? uh, There's a
2: couple which are hard to see in their original form. Uh, You can't see Lawrence of Arabia in its original form. That had to be... uh, Because big big chunks of it were cut out and it had to be kind of patched together when it was re-released. You can't get Amadeus, of all films, on Blu-ray... in its original form only the expanded directors cut although uh, i believe some enterprising mm. person has gone through the blu-ray cut out all the extra bits that milosh foreman stuck in and published that in the sort of places you would look for those I've, kind of movies yep, totally good. <laughs> uh, and uh wings i think again there had to be some pretty serious restoration work done on that but so yeah no, none lost wings mm. was lost for a long time it turned up in an attic somewhere uh, in the '90s, I think. So for a long time, you couldn't see wings, the very first best picture winner. But no, none of them, none of them lost forever. I think a couple of nominees from like the, the '20s and '30s might be lost.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that, I mean, that is fantastic, man. Massive congratulations on the uh, book and completing the mission of the podcast. Definitely recommend that podcast. And literally, it's a great one where you can kind of watch along as well and catch up, beat my 60 <laughs> of yes. uh, seeing the best picture. winners. And so this podcast, as we said, is the Star Trek podcast for a non-Trekie perspective. So with all our guests on, we like to get their Star Trek credentials. So what have you seen? What haven't you seen? You know, what's your first experience with Star Trek? How into it are you?
2: Uh, so I'm actually on a sort of Star Trek kick at the moment. Uh, growing up, uh, Star Trek for me oh. was the movies. I was just about old enough to see Star Trek The Motion Picture when it opened. I remember, actually, I remember the novelizations of Star Trek's two and three more clearly than the movies. They were books I read and reread when I was, uh, like, I was doing about 11 or 12. And so then when Star Trek The Next Generation started, that was very exciting. And uh, initially they weren't being shown here, but you could get uh, selected episodes on VHS. Uh, so I would go and rent those, and then they started showing them on BBC Two. And then I slightly lost track of Deep Space Nine. Got excited again when Voyager came on, slightly lost track of Voyager. Uh, so I, I, think, uh, I think I've think i probably watched, uh, since it sort of came back, I've watched everything. But it occurred to me quite recently that I haven't watched an awful lot of the original series and again, I remember it being on, I think, BBC Two when I was young. Uh, they were novelised as well. James Blish wrote them up as short stories. So you get a book of six selected Star Trek episodes rendered in just you know a few thousand words each. And I remember reading those. And I have got a very good book about the making of Star Trek. But uh, at the end of last year, I started uh, fiddling around with a spreadsheet. And what I discovered was If I was to watch one episode of Star Trek a day, starting on January the 1st with the first episode of the original series, and keep watching in transmission order, counting movies as one episode each and counting double-length episodes as one if that's how they were originally transmitted, then I would be watching the last episode of Voyager on Christmas Day 2023. So in other words... Just about two years to watch everything until it went away. Uh, so that's what I'm doing. Today's episode was The Over the Glory, which is not very good. And uh, Which is that
1: Enterprise.
0: serious
1: romance?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Did I say... What, what did I say? You said, oh, oh, you said no, Enterprise. Enterprise yeah. you no, no I, I beg your pardon. No, no. Enterprise. Enterprise, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes, I'll be watching the last episode of Enterprise on uh, December okay. 25th, 2023. Yes. Uh, what way to
0: celebrate Christmas Chris <day? laughs> Yes.
2: Yes, I do remember <laughs> watching the last episode of Enterprise. That also is not very good, but it's not very good in a very, very different <laughs> way than The Epic Glory is not very good.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, you know, even Nemesis might have been left less of a bad taste <laughs> in your mouth if that was yes. what you are finishing with, but I think it's going to be Enterprise. Yes, it will be, for yes. For hiatus. Uh, well, you, maybe the JJ Do you know what, one, from of, from one of the biggest years.
2: things that's happened <laughs> as I've started watching the original series is it's really turned me off the JJ films. Oh, I wow. find it now impossible to collect the kind of sensitive, capable, humane, compassionate, experienced Star- Starfleet commander James T. Kirk with this erratic teenager who appears to be in charge of the Enterprise, played by Chris Pine. You know, it's a perfectly fine and interesting characterization in its own right, but it's not the same character in any way, shape or
1: form. Oh, yeah, we talked a bit about this, and I think it we was, did. you know, it's it's like a completely different person in the fact that he had not have a father yes. figure like in his life it's like from that point onwards it's like it's going to be quite different it's like a mirror universe version of the same person there are kind of attributes i suppose that are like genetically in there which you know do do get to come to the fore but like yeah it's not exactly a replacement for or a cipher even for william shatner's curve, which is good because it does stand alone then <laughs> in that sense. It's not That's an true, imitation. true, but I, I do
2: feel this is a stupider version of the character, which is uh, disappointing.
1: <laughs> it's completely unassailable. It makes it to the captain's chair in like next to no time without any credentials. Or yes. so. Well,
0: I mean, if you watch the trailer, he pretty much just goes, they go, oh, we don't have a captain. He's like, yeah, we do. And he's, he sits down in the chair and they're like, well, we can't, we can't question that. <laughs> but it is um, funny because we did a ranking episode of all the Star Trek movies after we watched them for the podcast and our favourite controversially was actually the first J.J. Um, however before we re-watched or watched for the first time all of the uh, movies for the podcast that was my favourite Star Trek film as well but literally watching it again it kind of fell down kind of, it's still in my like, top three mm. um, but I prefer Star Trek First Contacts now that's my favourite personal favourite Trek movie because of exactly what you said in terms of by that point, because I've watched the first like, six uh, Kirk films, original Kirk films in a row, I was like, oh, I've really fallen in love with his character now. And his character is so different yeah. from Chris Pine's version. As much as Chris Pine's a great actor and that's like, you know a, a, a good character in its own right, He's not actually very like the Captain Kirk we know and love, and so that kind of did bring it down slightly for me. So it is, yeah, even though I still love it, it is interesting how it does change your perspective. And you're writing, like, reviews while you go along to these, aren't you? Yeah,
2: there's a little tweet every day, and then when I've got enough, usually about for five or six episodes, I put a blog post out uh, with, uh, like, a couple of paragraphs on each one. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, some, some I think... Um, uh, worthy of more comment than others. And early on, I was just like clocking things. Like, oh, that's the first mention of Starfleet. But they seem to be calling it the Starfleet, which is curious. Uh, or uh, Kirk, at one point in an early episode, asked the helmsman to go at Time Warp Factor 3. And I thought, oh, that's uh, something I haven't heard before. <laughs> so they're just sort of clocking these things. And then they started dancing around yeah. and <laughs> yes. kind of cross-dressing and yeah, yeah.
0: all kinds of stuff. Right, uh, let's talk... About 2001's 15 minutes. First scene of my new movie. Action. Detective, it looked like a murder. We don't know the cause of the death. And we get more, we'll let you know. Two visitors are about to bring America and action Ah! to its knees.
2: Perfect. Can we deal for this? In prime time
1: tonight, I present to you material of a violent nature.
0: We are insane. Who else but crazy men would film their crimes? No! No. Ready, set. Okay. Come on, it's going down! Two of New York's finest. Come on. That's supposed to be funny? Yeah, come on. Must stop the madness. I want to know who these guys are and I want to know now. They had a video camera and I just wanted them to get out of here. (laughs) Drink, and... cat. One million dollars. I don't want just blood and guts. If it bleeds, it bleeds. Maybe they're trying to send somebody a message. Could even be to humiliate them. You got to kill someone famous.
2: You think you're gonna get away with it? Huh? You're stupider than I thought. <laughs> <laughs>
0: i love america no one is responsible for what they do
2: robert de niro
0: come on come on (laughs) edward burns the media can be a powerful ally oh yeah guess again i say oxen shut up 15 minutes. Written and directed by John Hertzfeld, who's directed quite a few things in his time. Two of a Kind, which was the John Travolta and Olivia Newton John reunion movie after Greece. That was his directorial debut. It was quite a weighty responsibility, that one. He directed Two Days in the Valley which is meant to be kind of... It's definitely one of the most well-known kind of Tarantino 90s knockoffs. And it's got, like, Terry Hatcher in it, Jeff Daniels, Charlie's Theron, who's also in this film, James Spader. So, yeah, that's...
1: I really want to check you're that out right. at some it, point. Yeah. I was, like, not interested to use it, Spader, and I'm like, oh, maybe it won't be good. There you, you uh,
0: have, I mean, I don't know whether it would be good, good, but it's Will it be
1: good and, uh, t- you know, things to do in Denver when you're dead kind of good? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, yeah. well I think so. if it's things to do in Denver when dead good i'm 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 down for it a very very close relationship he had with sylvester sloan and i think they're roommates at one point and they've made some movies together like skate plan 3 the extractors that's a a collaboration Um, but he also directed i don't know if you've seen this paul um there was a 90 minute uh YouTube, uh, kind of documentary behind the scenes of Sylvester Sloan uh, re editing
1: Rocky Four. IV. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen that as many times as I've seen Rocky Four. It just works, which is weird. And
0: he directed that because they're great friends, so he got yeah. involved. And that was really, did you see that? Time? No, I didn't well it was really fascinating it, I've got
1: was, it was really fascinating yeah, yeah really, I, I really quite enjoyed it just just watching Stallone like during the pandemic like whiling away his hours was like I'm just going back to this old film and I'm a different man now dif- make different choices got slow things down and uh yeah it just, it's just interesting to see somebody work and edit like an old old film in a different way yeah 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 I mean I you know
0: I'm a massive Sly fan at the end of the day so like you know I, I found it really really interesting to see his kind of craft he also directed another film called Reach Me uh which has got quite a starry cast in it uh, but sounds absolutely terrible. I get get the feeling looking into John's work that he might be on a bit of a, a bit of a hardcore Christian vibe oh. maybe because I think that I think that Reach Me has a sort of Christmas Eve style kind of faith-based film kind of feel uh, mm. to me from what I can see and there's a few things even in this I was starting, starting to think about uh, but this stars Robert De Niro in The Leaves so that's a, a big big star in the 2001 so this is at the turning point of De Niro where he goes from being the best actor in the world to becoming a guy who just will star in anything for money because we also covered Showtime on this podcast oh, right. uh, with Boyd Hilton, which he did the year after with with Eddie Murphy, which is actually a weirdly similar film in some ways. Yeah, it's this. very
1: strange. It was like an attempt at doing it again. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, I yeah.
0: Like this is just after like Meet the Parents and stuff like that, and so he's kind of yeah going. I don't know. I think
1: looking back here, uh, you know, I'd say well he did the fan after Heat, which is a bit of a woeful movie isn't it yeah you know? right. flawless which is that nobody's watching that adventures of rocky and Bullwinkle. ronin mate. Ronin. <laughs> ronin is ronin's great but like it's it is surrounded by i think he's on the wane i think from 96 onwards uh, I, I
0: agree that he's on the way but ronin absolute badass film that uh, amazing and then uh meet the parents i think whether whatever you think of meet the parents I think that is still a career standout in him for going like, oh, De Niro can do comedy. He also just analysed this as well, which was a big hit. Again, it's kind of like whatever you think of those films, it was showing he can do comedy and had another kind of, you know, uh, strand to his bow kind of thing. So I think this is when he really starts going downhill. And I mean, it's...
1: Right, well, give, give away the your <laughs> yeah. opinion here a little bit. Like, uh, oh, no, 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 no. This
0: this isn't necessarily talking about my opinion of this film. I think it's more in terms of his general critical reception.
1: Well, he—he's. I mean, I saw it in the titles so it's a Tribeca kind of production, so I presume that you know he was heavily involved with like, you know, the revitalization of that era of New York, and I presume this is sort of like something he's doing to try and boost the. The exposure of that company, okay, and, interesting. and uh, you know, so it, interesting. it's kind of he's doing one for the money here. He thinks he's got like what would be a surefire money maker.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was. You know, and, Tom, are you a big De Niro fan?
2: I wouldn't say big. I think uh, at his best, he there is no one who can touch him. And I think what you're describing here is this kind of phase where he begins exploiting the kind of Robert De Niro persona. And that creates some interesting films like Meet the Parents, like what if Robert De Niro was your father-in-law? This just seems to be recycling it. You know, there's, there's nothing that he's doing here which is pushing him or stretching him or even creating mm. a character which another actor could have played and given it some sort of interiority and, and interest. He just seems to be going through the motions uh so it is surprising to me to see that his production company is involved in it and i can only assume that yes as you say it was for the money or to do someone a favor uh and uh, i hope the favor was returned because it didn't make any money and i don't think it's a very good performance
1: so if we could just kind of if we, if we can encapsulate what this film is actually about, because it is just everything in the kitchen oh, sink, isn't The first it? But, 20 minutes, it you know, felt like it, I was it, channel
2: surfing. It, it, it just keeps hopping from location yeah. to location and character <laughs> to character with no rhyme or reason. We're, we're yeah. at a, uh, an airport, we're in a television station, we're in a firehouse. It just is so confusing.
1: Yeah, so we have a situation where we've got a Russian and a Czechoslovakian national coming to the United States trying to track down a, a former friend who's taken some of their money... I think they want to shake him down for what, what they're owed. At the same time, you've got Robert De Niro, is a ratings pool celebrity cop working for, you know, he's got, seems to got like a, a first look deal with Kelsey Grammer's like unscrupulous TV producer who works for Kim Cattrall in her one of two scenes where she's sent in to clean up the television station's act. You have uh, Ed Burns as a gun carrying, and, and towards, the movie, uh, towards the end of this movie, Ed Burns
2: just, turns out to be a very accurate description. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: That whole thing about him being like a celebrity cop is just such a nuts angle because it's never really convinces me for one second that he's enjoys the limelight whatsoever. In fact, he's got a drinking problem that is alluded to by him sort of soaking his head in ice cubes, and then the the next—that's pretty much the last time you see him like really take a proper drink. Uh, You know, he has has some cups, doesn't he, around the case, but it doesn't like it really impede his work uh, for such a you know big reveal at the beginning. Well, it's Uh, funny
0: you say about him not enjoying it i found this an interesting duality with showtime where that is about a real cop with the media spotlight on him and he doesn't like it like his catchphrase in there it's like get that camera out of my face whereas in this like the first time we see him he's kind of got like, getting the sharp suit out and everything he's getting ready for his close-up here he seems to invite it
1: but then but then he doesn't want to do it again for kills like you know so he like he makes the bust and, it, and, the, and the camera's late but if he was really into it, it'd be really funny to see him re-arrest him. That would be that would make sense in the in thing. But he's just like really grumpy; just carries on. But and the moves television away.
2: cameras there is on uh, theme, uh, so it doesn't matter what his attitude yeah. is because of the theme.
0: Well, Kelsey Grammer says it, years before Nightcrawler, if it bleeds, it leads and you know yeah. he's he's on fine form here. The cows, you know, also a Star Trek uh, column. Yes, yeah. yeah. yeah, an yeah, yeah. And
2: while we're at it, yeah. uh, says so Kim Cattrall.
0: Four hundred years ago on the planet Earth workers who felt their livelihood threatened by automation flung their wooden shoes called sabots into the machines to stop them hence the word sabotage
1: they and i've got another there. one for you anton yelchin
0: yes yeah we've got a, a tiny cameo later for a very young anton yelchin because star trek is such a vast franchise there's always multiple StarCraft connections with every kind of film we ever do. Like, you know, it would literally always be a case of we've got the kind of like the main one. And then gotcha. you've got a bunch of others. It will just always just naturally happen. I mean, like, you know, There'll be, oh, that person was a guest star in this, like everything like that. It's, that's the reason kind of like why we have to limit what films are on the <laughs> okay. list. Because essentially, if you just went, basically anyone who's ever been involved in Star Trek ever, you probably could just literally cover every film ever made at some point. So yeah, Avery Brooks is our main Star Trek connection here, who appears pretty pretty early on. He turns up looking sharp. He's kind of like uh, De Niro's kind partner. Ready, set, okay, let's go. Thrill of the hunt. Yeah, this is one of Brooks's kind of few kind of big screen roles. Once he starts doing DS9, his only other appearance in this year is in a music video um, for a song from from this film. Uh, so I presume that that is literally just, like, clips from this movie, like, <laughs> in that, and he's got credited for it. But, bizarrely, this is Brooks's final big screen back. Wow. Like, he only has two acting roles after this as the narrator of an episode of Bible Mysteries and reprising his role as Captain Sisko in the Star Trek Legacy video game. Right. Acting Captain's Log, Stardate 45252.6. After departing Utopia Planitia Fleet Yards for a test flight of the newly completed USS Defiant, we have arrived in the Atari system to find some disturbing evidence of a Romulan incursion into Federation space. After this, it's stage work, audiobooks, uh, narrating documentaries, uh, teaching, and also releasing his own Jazz and Blues covers album. Funnily enough, there was a podcast interview with Cyril Lofton, who played Jake Sisko, his son, uh, just a couple of years ago, who said, he didn't really elaborate, but he said that Brooks had been blacklisted oh. um, by Hollywood, and he hasn't got an agent currently, or anything like that. Now, the only thing I could see looking into his history is in 2012, he was charged with driving under the influence and arrested for erratic driving. But it was the only thing I could really find in terms of kind of, you know, something that might have coloured... Isn't, isn't, yeah. he, isn't he bonkers? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, that's what
1: that, that comes across <laughs> in the captains. <laughs>
2: I mean, I think yeah. he would be not the easiest actor to work with. I can quite understand, not necessarily a, a formal blacklisting, but I can thoroughly understand someone seeing an interview with him and just going, yeah, no, I'm going to keep looking.
0: Are you talking about his interview in The Captains? Among other the things, William yes. Yeah. interview. Among other things, uh, yeah. What happens when you die? <laughs> Tell me. Wish I knew. <laughs> Do you have a thought?
1: <laughs> that was a real get for them, because he was like, I don't come on camera anymore. And, uh, you can see why. It's <laughs> just yeah. probably not the best idea for his image. Um, but, like, he he's uh, in this is, as the um, he's quite good isn't yeah. he? as his uh, partner, and I think he's kind of he, he sells me more on the celebrity element of this, like you know, looking good, moving fast, and he's also put on the voice when he's doing the setting up the uh, criminal, and he does like a Tubbs esque, <laughs> like puts on an accent, doesn't he? Yes, he uh, does. Do yeah, he does. Do and the Miami I thought, That's voice. great. Yeah. I like this. brings a bit of colour to the role, and uh, you know, a bit of excitement there. And he sells it far more than De Niro's character is. It just doesn't make. It just it, the characterization of like you know De Niro's coffee It doesn't make sense. I also find it's a ridiculous reveal that halfway through he's about to propose to a television anchor who is not really introduced until like halfway through as well. It's really bizarre. Like the way so that many unfolds. things bizarre about this. Got, like, it seems
2: to me that they spend some time setting up the fact that De Niro and um, Cisco are, are partners and best friends, and then I, I assume we're allowed to spoil stuff. Yeah. Yes. So then when yes. De Niro is killed three quarters way through the movie. Uh, and it's Ed Burns. So, as far as I can tell, it's possible I missed something here, but as far as I can tell, Met him like a few days earlier is the one who is white yeah. hot for revenge. And Avery Brooks is just like, yeah, that'd be great. Go, go, go and get him. He, he's not at all motivated. You don't need Ed Burns in this movie at all, as far as I can tell. No. You've got no. Avery Brooks.
0: Yeah, I mean, yep. I personally, because, you know, as you just revealed, De Niro's character shock death like halfway through the film and then essentially it becomes it goes from being a Robert De Niro movie to an Ed Burns movie I mean that's that's a downgrade yeah I mean, you know, no disrespect yeah. to Mr Burns but that's, a, that's yeah. a step down I would say by any <laughs> kind of like yeah you
2: know. the only reason that um, Ed Burns yeah. is in it as far as I can tell is because these criminals decide that the best way of killing a fire chief is with a fire <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, yeah, he'll never be able to. Get that. He'll never have the skill set. <laughs>
1: To, to escape that one they're <laughs> <laughs> just, just a fan of the death well they are of course because they're, yeah. they're filming everything and that as we said
2: is the sort of the, the theme but it's incredibly clumsy it's incredibly poorly done It kept reminding me of other better films or at least films with more sort of personality to them I'm not a huge fan of Natural Born Killers but Natural Born Killers just feels like it's got something to say even if it is a bit of a kind of awkward splicing together of uh, Oliver Stone and Quentin Tarantino's styles but this just feels like wouldn't it be good if as opposed to something which actually has got something to say. Yeah,
0: that's funny, 100%. Uh, I was thinking of Natural Born Killers as well when I was watching this film. Because, like I said, I mean, I do like Natural Born Killers, but I know it's a controversial uh, movie. I don't think you're a fan, Paul. Yeah. No, I know But not like that. I think you can agree that it's like with Natural Born Killers, that definitely has an angle. Yeah,
1: well, at least it's tonally consistent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah like it's within it's within its kind of reality it's created for itself and the kind of you know little asides with the kind of tv sitcom cutaways and the kind of like acid trippy sort of things it it fills a part of a hole yeah whereas you know it feels like it's two different films here when you've got these uh what, what starts as quite jokey characters with these two cr- criminals from eastern europe then it turns to absolutely savage uh slasher segments which are like Extremely violent and quite disturbing, and then you cut to like a, quite a buddy, you know, two guys not getting along, you know, trying to like you know piss on each other's <laughs> patch, you know, in terms of that cop versus firefighter thing. I, I, it's just like the, the the way those scenes kind of come up against each other, it just really unsettles you as a viewer, and you don't know if you're coming or going. I think that's it. If there was a more consistent tone arrived at, it would be much easier to watch. But because it's all over the place, I think the sequence from. We have Charlie's Theron's cameo, where she's a mm-hmm. madam of a dating agency, gives them a tip off that the, the girl they're looking for is a wit, key witness, is working at a salon and uh, that the two criminals are on their way there now. So there's there's a bit of excitement. We you know you've got Burns and De Niro going after the criminals, there's a good foot chase he is a good foot leading chase. into sort of uh, finally arriving at like the fire sequence, which is awesome. I mean it's a stupid <laughs> idea, but actually how it's done, I felt like you know did have contains some kind of drama to it. And I think mean, that's it. There's a middle section of the film which doesn't feel like it leads into those really, really, really violent head at seas, but kind of like just gets it right for the bit of the middle. Just to give it its due. I thought I don't know how you I feel. I agree, I think
2: that the foot chase isn't bad. I think it really wants to be the heist get away from heat and it doesn't quite rise to that level, but it's it's pretty good, I agree. As stupid as it is, the escape from the burning building stuff is fairly kind of tense and exciting. But it it's it's takes place in such a kind of grim characterless sadistic world I just was finding it really hard to engage on at any level
1: I, I, I engaged a bit on a I grew up as a teenager in those years and I felt like I'm sort of seeing some of those <laughs> tropes and those fashions and the music choices were really I mean the score was ho- absolutely horrible but it was something familiar about you know it felt like a, vid- a video I would have watched before I was 18 and just got some- a kick out of being a teenager and then right at that. the end when um, Oleg is sort of
2: staging little... his death for his own video <sighs> camera the title comes yeah. up a film by Oleg Razgul," and you get a glimpse of oh this could have been a much cleverer more self-referential more twisty kind of film there's a series that's just started on Apple TV called The After Party uh, which is a really kind of neat gimmick Uh, so Tiffany Haddish is the cop talking to all the people who were at this party where a big celebrity died and getting their recollections and not only does everybody remember different details and remember the events of the night differently because it's from their point of view everybody remembers it in their own genre so the first episode mm. is oh, like a romantic comedy. One of the other ones uh, is a is a thriller. Uh, one of them apparently is a musical. I haven't got to that episode yet, uh, but that's really kind of fun and interesting and kind of playing with the form in a way in which this is sort of reaching for, but never quite grasping. I think it's
1: because Oleg's such a He's shit a film filmmaker as well. <laughs> Which is uh, part like, of the he, joke. He doesn't but stick with one... It st-
2: doesn't help that so much of the film is uh,
1: shot it, shitly by him. It'd be funnier if he was more obsessed with movies and he was just trying to get you know get him to hold him down like or hold him so I can get that shot from Psycho or something. You know He's constantly referencing stuff. That was what made it even <laughs> harder to watch. That's... that's Horrific violence, terribly shots. <laughs> yes.
0: Well, yeah, it's the fact we mentioned earlier, the fact that he said he wants to be the next Frank Capra, and I'm like, well, you're not going to make it with these fucking shots, mate. <laughs> like, uh, literally. It's just... And by the way, the actor who played Oleg oh, like, did actually shoot all those sequences. Right, OK. So mm. all, all, all those modes, that's him actually filmed, So we know who to blame. Um,
2: to
1: yeah.
0: give the authenticity. And you are right, those scenes do get really nasty. So, I mean, you basically, just set up the, the opening scene, introduces you to these two guys Oleg and uh, what's the other one called
1: uh, Miss, Mr. Russia
0: <laughs> Mr. Russia uh, I can't remember uh, what Emil called, but you're right Emil yeah. that's it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're right, to one's a Czech national and one's a Russian national, uh, to which the very uh, xenophobic customs officer says, How do you possibly know each other <laughs> if you're <laughs> from Russia and you're from the Czech Republic? Mm. Completely
1: impossible. As, as I stand in an airport, I
2: cannot countries. think of a single way which you two could have met.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like why would ever be friends. And, and until five a years country. ago they were <laughs> the same country. Yeah.
0: <laughs> this this was released on March the 9th, 2001. it actually felt like quite a post 9-11 movie to me, like that opening sequence of them at the airport and stuff like that and kind of, you know, being under, being grilled like that. I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Um, And with with, with Oleg, he obviously gives that interesting kind of speech about the kind of land of the free and stuff like that uh, to the customs officer and why he wants to come to America. And then it hard cuts to Kelsey Grammer's news anchor going, bullshit! And, like, you know, I was like, well, oh, that's quite funny. Quite a funny, like, cut. And, like, you know, I thought it was kind of setting it up for a slightly more kind of political kind of movie that was like going forward. And it didn't really ever quite grapple with that properly. Because, like you say, it's, it's really all over the place. It's clear. i read quite a lot of interviews with John Hertzfeld, um, who wrote and directed the film. And it's clear he's he's got a point of view on this. He clearly wanted to say something with this film. Like he even wrote like a piece for the LA Times at the time about kind of, you know, media violence and stuff like that. And you know, so it feels like he's got something to say, but it just doesn't really come across with the film he's making. None of the messages are clear cut. Was it Oscar Wilde who said? You know, uh,
2: Oscar problem. Wilde said all bad poetry springs from genuine feeling.
1: Uh, you've got you've got a problem when you'd rather watch the of Jesse Raphael like that's that's being shown on the killer's hotel room, uh, and I also you know let's go back to our main man Avery for a second. You know he unfortunately gets taken out of that foot chase. By getting bottled in the face and then shot in the leg, is he? I don't know if it's a double injury, but like he gets oh, pistol whipped, doesn't he? Like, really badly. Yeah, he gets really badly
0: beaten.
1: Does De Niro, his partner, give a <laughs> shit at <laughs> all? <laughs>
0: <laughs> nah, just like he's a CLA, mate. Like, just yeah, for a like, And he almost yeah. felt deliberate, like like you say, like taking him out of the story yeah. or something. Like, because, yeah. like you say, it, it would make much he more sense Burns. for Brooks to take over as the star rather than Burns. I mean, because at the end of the day, like, Ed Burns, I was looking at what he'd done before this, and he's in Saving Private Ryan in 1998. Yeah. But then there's a big gap between that and this, because obviously there's quite a few kind of people kind of, um, like big stars who are in, say, Private Ryan, like small roles, who become like Vin Diesel and stuff like that, who come bigger later. And I was like, oh, maybe that was meant to be, you know, his springboard, and then he was in stuff. But there's not, there's just a big gap. And then this, which is, I mean, at the end of the day, you co-starred with De Niro. I mean, that's pretty big in 2001 it feels like someone desperately trying to make him happen <laughs> and he's just like at the time I'm like Avery Brooks would have been a bigger star than you mate at in, in that time like you know he's, he's the star of like a hit TV show like you know that ran for seven seasons I, I think he would have been more well known by people, probably brought more people in than Ed Burns, so you know, like, make him take over like, as uh, the second lead, once De Niro dies. Do
2: you remember what Edward well, Burns' character's name is? Uh,
0: Burning Man <laughs> Uh, Mr. He's Fire apparently Sean. called
2: Jordan Warsaw which is <laughs> <laughs> quite not quite as good as, but uh, it's it's approaching the level of stupidity of my favourite stupid character name of all time, which is a stupid character name which is very deliberately and clearly stupid, but it does take some beating, and that is the character played by Jeffrey Rush uh, as the bad guy in Mystery Men, uh, and his character name is Casanova Frankenstein.
1: Hello, I would like a double burger with a large fries. Do you boys want something to drink? <laughs> We think you did something bad to Captain Amazing. We would like you to tell us where he is. Captain who? This name does not ring any bells with me. I don't like your tone, and Puss. And do yourself a favour and don't punch my clock, because I'm a Pantera's box you do not want to open. It is Pandora. I think that's the thing. If you're going to kill De Niro, you need somebody approaching his level to take over the film. Yeah. Because, you know, you're going to feel that absence. You really do. It becomes like a, a proto kind of taxi driver yeah. riff at the end, because, like, very quickly he goes completely insane and attends, like, rallies with a gun. And you should
0: say that Ed Burns is, like, fire marshal, or whatever the hell he is. Power has gone to his head, because at the opening of the film, he a guy tries to mug him in the park, and he incapacitates him, and handcuffs him to a tree, leaves him to go and do his job, comes back, And the guy's clothes have been, like, robbed from him because he's tied to a tree. And he's just like, oh, yeah, well, I'll let you off this time, mate. (laughs) See you later. (laughs) He's just like, man, this is not a good look in 2022.
1: I I think the only time this character, like, becomes interesting is in the sequence where he's under threat of burning alive in a building. That Somebody's special skills or a job somebody's doing comes into play in an action sequence. So you kind of... They have an edge that may give them an out and they're kind of, like, applying their logic in character the situation i just thought that made it more exciting that's why it was the most effective scene in the film i thought it actually has some payoff but other than that there's no reason it's really convoluted that they've been burning these buildings as they go through them just to always give him something to do yeah it reminded
0: uh, me of um them burning the buildings down reminded me of the home alone thieves like <laughs> they what they call themselves so, so, because they leave the taps running every the the
1: wet bandits. Yeah yeah. yeah yeah
0: yeah the wet bandits. <laughs> And I was like, are they modeling themselves on their but a far more nastier version? You know, like, you know, that's what it kinda of seemed like. They did seem a bit like that. I should have had Pesci by. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we like, were like, right, it's a nasty film. Like in terms of I think that's something that surprised me that like, I wasn't really expecting. Like all the killing sequences in it, especially the one where they kill the sex worker. He's properly, like, nasty, yeah. quite, I would say, quite, like, exploitative it is. as well. Like, you know, I really, uh, I was like, oh, crap, we're going here? Like, because he felt like, it was one of those classic cases of uh, the film's trying to comment on that kind of, you know, media violence and titillation, but embracing it at the same yeah. time.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like, she's topless during the, the yes. attack as well. I think that's another thing that sort of you know, the BBFC would have had their shears at that if it came out in the 80s.
0: There was also a really odd thing of Oleg is the one who's really enthusiastic about this thing. He's going, on oh, my movie, my movie. And Emil kind of often goes to him, like, oh, stop filming me, or whatever, because he's committing crimes. <laughs> yes. He obviously doesn't want to be filmed for, like, all the evidence to be released. But he usually just kind of goes, oh, I'll get that camera out of it. stop filming. Why, I want to... Stop filming. Yeah, 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 he doesn't actually do anything no. about it. He kind of just allows him to keep doing it and keep filming. And it's kind of like, right, okay, well, he's actually capturing all of your crimes on film. And especially as, like you say, they're burning things down to destroy the evidence. I'm like, well, all the evidence is on that video, mate. So, what's. The
1: <laughs> I think it's that, unfortunately, like, showing real life murders on camera on, on things doesn't lend itself to the kind of comedy aspects of the other parts of the movie, does it? I think, I think there's no way you can make that funny. No,
0: it, it's it's very, very odd, isn't it? Because the score, we mentioned the score being terrible earlier, and the score is done by two composers. Writing every other uh, note. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anthony Moranini and J. Peter Robinson. Apparently, uh, Anthony, the first composer, was fired, and then uh, the other composer was brought on but they ended up using parts of both scores because I did actually think when I was watching it, I was like, oh, the scores, there are bits of score here which are like really different from the others. Like there was a bit of score like towards the end that I actually thought was quite dramatic and rousing and like good. I was like, oh, that's surprising because a lot of the score is really, really bad. Hmm. And it has this odd like comedic Kind of bent, especially around Oleg and email, and kind of like like depicting, especially when they when they first turn up. I feel like they're depicted as like comedic characters, almost to the point that when because I you don't really find out why they're there until they actually come across their old kind of friends who owe them money. At at first, you really do think I thought, oh, are they actually going to be on holiday? And then they're actually going to, like, ki- accidentally kill someone or something and go completely bonkers and start, like, filming all their, like, killings. But it's a case of, like, no, they were coming there to kind of threaten someone for money. But we but we always introduce them this, like, comedic, plinky-plonky, like, music. It's really yeah, odd.
1: Can you imagine that if you told a film starring Kelsey Grammer in a scene where he goes to a, uh, a hotel room to buy a <laughs> snuff film with a million dollars ah. in a suitcase? is a bad film. <laughs> I, I wouldn't believe you.
2: <laughs> Control of tone is so hard, and I think you know you can obviously do an adventure comedy, a, a film in which violent things happen, but a tone of uh, liberty uh, or, or even just sort of escapism is maintained. I'm reminded that when he first saw the script for Die Hard, it was John McTiernan, who at the very least takes credit for, saying instead of terrorists, as they are in the original novel it should be thieves. Because thieves are fun. Terrorists aren't fun. Thieves are fun. You can kind of root for thieves a bit. Uh, and that makes the whole film just so much more enjoyable.
0: Yeah, I mean, you definitely cannot root for these guys, even though, like you said, I kind of feel the way they're depicted, it, you, I don't know, it feels like you almost are meant to kind of be with them a little bit, or be, be endeared yeah. to them, at least. In, in a kind of like, oh, they're, they're kind of amusing, way not way, But... I mean, Emil was like a complete,
1: proper psychopath. Yeah, I can it. see a version of this which starts with, like, you know, minor crimes. They're like, they set out with the intention yeah. to record crimes, but something somewhere in the middle of it gets out of hand and somebody gets killed, and one of them kind of then gets takes it a bit too far. You know, the train's oh, already wow. left the station, and the final act is that they're killing people, and, you know, you can be a bit more serious in the last act, but you could build on that, you know, comedy premise that, like, people are bombing their way, trying to be famous and recording it and just one, staying one step ahead of the law but like they're so stupid the fact that they go and eat at a restaurant before they've you know whilst they've sent the you know the video where they've killed like New York's favourite cop I just New York's favourite cop um, yeah was,
0: that's
2: what it yeah, is yeah, I in guys. who's your favourite cop we all, yeah, have, exactly.
0: we all have. We all have. Yes, we do. Who's who's your favourite? Well, talking about um, the police <laughs> actually the talking in this, don't they? About kind of uh, public image, getting more budget and stuff like. We've got to improve our public image to get more budget. We've got to get.
1: Getting more budget for what, like chasing somebody with <laughs> a camera in the street? Like.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They're telling Daenerys you got to get on Instagram, mate. Like get a few, get a few followers and stuff like. it's a bit odd. And also, I'm just going to revert back to Ed Burns, am I being unfair? Were you guys big Ed Burns fans before this or anything like that? No, I can think of
2: uh, half a dozen actors who could have played that part. and I mean, you, you scarcely noticed any difference. You know, put Denon McDermott in there and nothing changes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's, that's the approach. I mean, literally,
0: the only thing I know Ed Burns for is randomly appearing in episodes of Entourage back in the right. day. And when that's your big claim to fame, I think, you know, <laughs> yes. it's, 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 yeah. it's not great. I think he's usually battling Johnny Drama for roles, right. isn't he? <laughs> like, <you> know,
1: like, <laughs> I, I just remember Googling him years ago just to kind of like, where's Ed Burns a thing for a second? Yeah. So I remember this film being on like. The hooky satellite TV I was watching, and I never, I've, I've, I've seen bits of this film before, but I've never seen it all the way through. And like, you know, he's the the what the also ran from Saving Private Ryan, isn't he? That's yeah. Just it's just an odd thing that somebody from there didn't break out.
0: Let's talk about De Niro a bit because we've already revealed the big spoiler of the movie, which is that he dies about, about kind of halfway, two thirds of the way through, kind of thing. Um. Did we? Were we? Any of us spoiled before we saw the film that he was going to die?
2: It was a surprise to me, uh, and uh, it did sort of perk me up briefly. I thought, oh, maybe this film's got a bit more to it. Uh, And I think, yeah, we didn't have got the the big fire escape after that. So yeah, it was sort of, oh, he hasn't got as much plot armor on as I expected. Cool, but it's again, it's a grim scene. Really it's great. not I It's mean, not nearly it's... as much fun as you would hope it was going to be, particularly because it ends the way it does.
1: Paul, did you know it was going to happen? No, I, and I had seen it before, so and I still, <laughs> still didn't remember. <laughs> you still didn't know. <laughs> uh, so I drew, it, it started to come back to me that I remember watching that bit with my dad and sort of then probably watching it to the end and just sort of, like, uh, you know, realising it wasn't much fun now that De Niro was dead, like, you know... Uh, it was, it was a ballsy move, yes. like a, yeah. sure. Even, even though he's given uh, nothing it,
2: to do, his character doesn't really change or uh, learn anything. We don't really learn anything about him. He is always watchable. Yeah, yeah I mean, it is yeah. De Niro I mean, at the end of
0: the day. You know, it's, it's one of those things where however much he's slumming it, it's still De Niro. And I would say, at this point,
1: although... The I don't know, I haven't <laughs> seen the intern yet, okay. so.
0: <laughs> At this point, although he is kind of starting to take... Kind of worst movies and stuff like that, I think it still feels like he cares, still like, you know he's still putting in a decent turn, uh, maybe not up there with like you know the the best of his stuff, but you know, I think he's still at
1: least oh, trying. I mean, I was invested in him. the way he rewrote the card, like to his uh, the girl his he's promoting, uh, so about to propose to, and he like you know, spells his uh, signs his name slightly wrong and then has to redo it. Redoing. It's like, like, that was such a good little character moment that, like, gave that character depth in, like, a single action, and that's the kind of, like, bits that were missing early early If It was just, just about getting going about midway through the film where I'm starting to kind of you know, caring With hindsight, about that's him. a bit of a giveaway and
2: that he's not going to see the end of the film, isn't it? He says, mm, tomorrow mm. is the day I propose to my girlfriend. And then it's one last case. <laughs> and then, oh, dear, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I was shocked. I was shocked that he died. And I've got to be honest, I don't know if you felt this way, um, Thomas. You hadn't seen it before, which, which I hadn't either. I was convinced, 100% convinced, he was going to come back because obviously we don't actually see him get killed. It literally cuts to black. And we never see his body or anything like that. And I was, even when they got to the funeral, I was like, "They're, they're going to pull a Commissioner Gordon <laughs> in Dark Knight." Because when they actually come over to Brooks, they actually kind of go, "Oh, they've they've got a call. You're going to want to take this and stuff like that." And I was like, "It's going to be De Niro at the end of the phone." And at some point, he's going to turn up and be like, "Oh, you thought I was dead? but I'm not." gonna like you know. And I was right up to the very
1: very end. I was like, "He is coming back." It was only when, to an empty line. Uh, as a dead man at the end of this film <laughs> that, that didn't
2: seem likely to me and I think the reason it didn't is a, another weakness of the film which is that De Niro and Ed Burns have no real relationship with the bad guys with Oleg and Emil so if he does suddenly pop back up again like who really cares they've met once you know
0: well, that's the funny thing because I was shocked that they even went after his character. When they kidnapped him and held him hostage, I was like, oh, shit, this has escalated. Well, they've gone right after the kind of, like, guy who's chasing them immediately. Like, you know, this... I thought even if he doesn't get killed here, this is a big escalation. And then I kind of thought... One thing I will say about his final scene, I kind of thought he didn't go out with, like, a massive amount of dignity, even though he was, like, fighting them off. It was like while he was tied to his chair and he's kind of waddling around with the chair on his back and trying to shoot them, I was like, oh no, this isn't so great. And then when they actually, like you said, when they actually kill him, it's properly nasty. The final thing we see is, because they keep like spitting at each other, but the final bit we see is that he like, spits like, a load of blood right on his face. And then it like cuts back, and I was like, "Oh, that's really nasty." Yeah. That's kind of like, "Oh, we're not gonna leave you with any. This is gonna be a nasty death for you. It's not gonna be like clean kill."
1: Really, re- yeah. I like, I like my on-screen kills <laughs> clean. <laughs> yeah, uh, it
0: just uh, it just surprised me at the uh, at the nastiness of it, and kind of a d- big star like De Niro going out like that. And I listened to the commentary from uh, John Hurtzfeld on that on that scene. And because I was just interested in terms of like the choice that was made, because I thought, oh, that's quite a bold kind of move, killing off De Niro. And he said, yeah, it was meant to be that He said, you know, the audience was meant to think he's going to come back because we, we cut away, like, you know, in terms of they're going to think he'll be back in a couple of scenes, and then he isn't. And it was meant to be, like, a huge shock. And he, it sounds like he pitched it to De Niro, like, you know, this is what's going to happen, you could die. Here and everything like that and then it's, it's going to be a big shock in the film.
1: Well, I don't see the point then of like make, keeping people on the, on the hook thinking he's going to come well, back. Well I think that was it's just,
0: just like, yeah, well, uh, Tom didn't think he was going yeah, to But that. he said that. Exactly. He said I, I thought he was and then John Hertzfeld thought that people would think that uh, and so obviously he was oh. right with me.
2: But This is just adding to the list yeah. Yeah. of like other better films this reminds me of because I'm pretty sure Executive Decision was a few years before this which pulls basically the same trick.
1: Yeah, and yeah, a confidential yes. the year before. Oh, yeah. A couple of years before yeah. as well. Yeah, Spacey, we wish he stayed. It, and it works for that movie because it brings the two people together. So they should have bought Burns and Brooks together if there was going to be anything. But they're alts for the rest of the movie. Burns goes completely off the deep end. One thing I I, wanted to, I wish I could see the dailies from was Brooks and Kelsey Grammer shouting each other in the street. I thought those two guys went for it. Like <laughs> I wasn't buying it, but I was just enjoying <laughs> it. Just, just the idea of Frasier versus like Captain Cisco on the streets of New York would have been a great... Yeah. It's
0: funny because it is kind of I was thinking about this cast.
1: Kim Cattrall's set in the city star, like she's in two scenes one. Yeah. Like it's the it's the best of TV. Like. Well it's an interesting
0: <laughs> cast of people, isn't it? Because like you say, but it, they're all kind of used minimally. It's like just really De Niro for most of it, then Burns. But like you say, you've got Kim Cattrall, Charlie's <laughs> Farron. Avery Brooks, Kelsey Grammer, like, you know, these are good actors. They're kind of very used, slim pickings, like, throughout. I mean, literally, Kim Kachar. I couldn't even remember her being in the second scene. (laughs) I was like, I thought it was like one scene cameo. And from what I can see, because Hertzfeld often manages to pull together quite impressive casts for his films. And it does sound like he... He's a guy with a lot of buddies mm. in, like, while he was stuff like a lot of mates. He sounds like he's probably, like, a good guy who a lot of people like, and they're willing to come along.
1: Which oh, is great at parties. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. It's just... But, uh, yeah, and we also had the <laughs> uh, Anton Yelchin uh, cameo. Obviously, it's the little boy trapped uh, where Burns and Vera Farmiga. Vera yeah. Farmiga as well. She's in it. Yeah, as well. yeah, she's great. Uh, and they're trying to escape the uh, fire. He was in a bunch of films, like, this year. This was only his third film. But he was in a bunch of other things around this time. Along came a spider, which was the Kiss the Girls sequel. Hearts in Atlantis, which is, like, an Anthony Hopkins film. Delivering Milo, where he was the lead. So, I mean, you know, he was, he was building it up already. He was, like, straight away. Um, I was going to ask, do you know, Paul, are they in, uh, Emil and uh, Oleg in Planet Hollywood? at the end when they're having that move. it looks like Planet Hollywood
1: it looks a bit like it doesn't it yeah sort of crashing through some memorabilia weren't they? yeah
0: yeah. or I wonder whether it was just meant to be a bit like somewhere like Planet Hollywood
1: I don't know if it was or yeah. not I know it was shot of it was shot in LA like very clearly yes uh, which is like you know where those tax credits for Tribeca didn't go <laughs> in the right places uh. <laughs>
0: and I agree that that bit with Brooks and Grammar almost getting into it is one of the one of my favourite bits of the film that was a, that was a lot absolutely. of fun absolutely
1: and, and so, what do you make of the denouement then? We've got like the standoff. Like, for inexplicably, Burns like, is, you know, facing down the killer who's holding.
2: Who's he holding hostage? Is it the girlfriend? The, 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 the so unproposed it, two girlfriend? I th-
1: yeah, I think right, so. Right, yes, yeah. yes, the, the, the reporter, that's right. And he ignores everybody's, like, <laughs> advice to say just drop your gun. And so, shoots and wounds him, but then plugs him full of, like, 15 <laughs> rounds. It's
2: like bloody end. It's like the guy was I mean, wounded.
1: Jesus. <laughs> yeah, like, but like, but the guy you wounded him. Great, you actually saved the saved the hostage. The guy can be, down and be taken to custody, but they just murder him. If everybody, nobody, nobody arrests you. Like you also, I'm sure you had to turn in your fire gun, after, <laughs> if you're given your fire badge. So like, you know, that's an unlicensed. It's like this is
0: official like... fire investigation. <laughs>
1: So like, I don't see any fires here. But, uh, Get back to like your jurisdiction. Yeah. And I just it, it, it just blew my mind. Like the, the you know, the, the leap of logic of that final sequence just is so bad. But, yeah, yeah,
0: but he, he's fine. He just literally walks out of there, twacks Kelsey Grammer, yeah.
1: and he's he, Oh yeah, he's gone. also he's sorted a, a a person as well. I mean that's the lovely kind of like, you know, Dick Thornburg payoff as we've seen in Die Hard and that's quite funny, but in the in this film It's not earned at all. No, not at all. I I
0: was (laughs) like, does Kelsey Graham's character even deserve that? Because obviously it's meant to be... The thing is, it's almost like he's meant to represent the media because obviously he's introduced that big speech
1: but they called him yeah
0: exactly that's the problem if if he's introduced that big speech going like oh you know if it bleeds it leads and he kim chow's like oh you've got to tone down the violence he's like nah we've got to go after them and he's obviously meant to represent that bad media that exploiting violence and And they've got him like staging
2: these arrests but he does nothing to encourage uh, Oleg and Emil's activities and if he was the one spurring them on to more and more feats of mayhem and murder then this film would have something satirical but as it is as we said it is just a lot of noise and ugliness
0: yeah he like genuinely helps the police with their investigation throughout the <laughs> film so I'm just kind of like why it, the punch is meant to be representative of Ed Burns' is punching out the media. Yeah. Like I mean, like but it doesn't actually make any sense within the film that why he would punch him at the end of the day, apart from the fact that Ed Burns seems completely out of control.
1: Yeah, it's really funny to see that whole like the on-screen like, you know, angry captain sort of character who's a, in this station is a fire station captain instead of a police captain who's going around berating him for, like, breaking the rules. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I've seen you leave those matches out. Like can damn you. <laughs>
0: but, yeah, like you say, you uh, get that yeah. little bit with kind of Oleg dying, and that's it kind of, like you say, it kind of seems, that moment almost seems like from a loftier film when he kind of dies on camera while still filming himself. Like, but it just, yeah, but by then... Knows he's kind of just
1: he's it didn't need him coming back to life and saying, Did you get it? or whatever it was. It it was better, it was one of the funniest things in the film. Was it saying, Directed by Oleg, uh, that was it, that's all he needed, wasn't it? Yeah, he
0: has a sort of kind of scream like, (laughs) uh, killer coming back, doesn't he? moment almost, but um, yeah, so I mean, that was 15 minutes, felt like longer. uh, yeah <laughs> yeah, but this got uh, 32% on Rotten Tomatoes
1: that's high considering well,
0: m- many found it well, I'll, tell, I'll tell you why it's going up in a minute um, so many critics found it satire heavy handed but Roger Ebert legendary film critic Roger <laughs> Ebert 3 out of 4 he called it a cynical oh, was- savage satire about violence the media and depravity and said it doesn't have the polish of natural-born killers or the wit of Wag the dog, but it's a real movie, rough edges and all, and not another Link from the Sausage Factory. That's a very generous reading, I think. Yeah, that's our man. Right, I mean, he's like, praise it, three out of four. I thought that was an interesting, uh, different perspective, but for ourselves, final thoughts on this movie, please, Tom
2: final thoughts I had not seen this movie before I was asked to do it for this podcast I did not choose it I don't think I would have chosen it part of me wants to say thank you for exposing me to a film I wouldn't otherwise have seen and part of me wants to say what did I ever do to you I thought we were friends did
0: you choose it Tom
2: Uh, I didn't well alright I I chose it (laughs) I I said I haven't seen it right (laughs) <laughs> that's about as far as well, i prepared to that's go.
0: The is watching too many films. Yes, that's your, that's watching too many good films with the best it It's true. It's true. That's your problem. too you were. Like, oh, I haven't seen this shit film. I've watched that Would you? What would you give this as a star rating out of five? Uh, you can have half stars if you
2: want. Yeah, that's what I'd be doing with those Star Trek episodes. Stars out of five. Uh, it probably can struggle up to two. It definitely isn't worth three. That would suggest that uh, it's, like, uh, more worth watching than not. One and a Half feels a bit mean, given, as we said, there are some effective sequences. De Niro is always watchable. But I just get the feeling of a film whose ambition vastly exceeds its reach. There's nothing so terribly wrong with that. I like the idea of filmmakers having ambition. But making a film is so hard and so few people get to do it. It's a real shame that this reaches... For something that it just isn't able to attain, so I think yeah, one and a half feels about right. One and a half to two, two. I'll be generous, two.
1: Two stars from Tom, Paul, what do I'd follow that, yeah, two. I think as well. It just seemed like you know you're seeing another film here in the pre digital era. Yes, the studios like you know there had to be a lot of money behind a, a, a production of this scale, but yet yeah, to see it, such a you know such a mess. It just it just reminded me of this era where like were you know they didn't think they were taking a risk, but clearly we're looking at back now and go let's all over the map in terms of like the genre it's trying to like ape or you know the toad it's trying to reach just it's just amazing that like, much money could be spent on something and it not be clear to them at any point during the shooting and editing or writing of this film that it wasn't going to come together in the same in the right way and i think it's no surprise it was in the can for over a year before oh, it was yeah there's released. that weird thing about it, its like, release
2: being delayed wasn't there no one seems to know why
1: i, I think we can kind of hey, so I guess <laughs> that it just, it's just it's down to like yes. how do you sell it like, what is it? What have we got here? And I suppose one thing is it doesn't feel like it's got a studio yeah. meddling. I think it is it, the director's vision is all up there on the screen, isn't it? But uh, yeah, not, not great film, is it? But I, I was kind of happy to fill in my kind of gaps <laughs> in my two thousand one filmography. Okay,
0: two stars, two stars. So I'm gonna raise the game a little bit and give this two and a half stars. The reason I'm going do that is because we covered Showtime on this podcast, which is a very similar uh, Bob De Niro movie that came out the year after, covering very similar themes of kind of satire on the media and stuff like that through the lens of a buddy cop movie. And with that, I gave it two stars. Uh, I think this is better than Showtime. Uh, I think it's got kind of, you know, more, slightly more interesting things to say. I think it's or just the thing, I think the massive gambit of killing off De Niro. Uh, I was genuinely kind of impressed by that and I was impressed that he didn't come back and was kind of like, oh, that's, that's a really interesting... I mean, it's, it's bold. It's bold killing off De Niro and it's bold going, we're killing off De Niro and making Ed Burns the lead of the film. Like, you know, like, I cannot deny the boldness of that. Whether it was a good idea or not is another question. But you know, it is it is what it is. I think you've got quite a few good players in this film. You know, they're, they're, he's he's lucky to have gathered quite an impressive cast playing reasonably small roles. Uh, I think that Kelse does a lot with a uh, little in his um, scenes. I think Avery Brooks is great in the few moments uh, we have him on screen. What a shame that it was his last big screen performance. Uh, I think there's moments where this kind of Threatens to go to a more interesting place, and kind of this. I think looking at it as a, a film, I think they, they, there's moments that are kind of well directed and stuff like that, and kind of some interesting stuff in there. It's very messy uh, overall, so I mean, I can't give it any more than two and a half. I think two and a half is probably being slightly generous as well. But there's there's enough interesting in there, enough that shocks me. I was kind of like, okay, two and a half stars. I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. So you know, not not wholly uh, successful one <laughs> in terms of fifteen minutes, but you know, it's interesting seeing, interesting to see another De Niro film from that era. You know, before he kind of just goes full kind of paycheck mode. Because as much as this is not a great movie, I do feel he he's giving it his attention, and I don't actually think. That this is him in paycheck mode. I think he thought this was probably an interesting film, an interesting role, and I think the idea of him getting killed off halfway through, because really, I, I can't think of another De Niro film before this where you know that would have happened to his kind of you know character, where he would have got killed off like halfway through or something like that. So I think that must have been quite an interesting thing for him to to do, because he's so used to being the star at that point. So yeah, Yeah. Jackie Brown? Oh, no, but he he gets killed. I mean, that is literally... That isn't the final act. And he's not being set up as the
2: star of Jackie Brown. He's not the protagonist. No, no. No, 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 for sure. he a pure
0: ensemble uh, by that point. And like I say, it's literally final reel. He's getting killed in that. So, you know... Tom, where can we find you online and where can we pick up uh, Best Pick Pod, the book? You can
2: get Best Pick, the book, wherever books are sold. You can listen to the podcast by typing Best Pick into your podcatcher of choice or by going to bestpickpod.com. Uh, and if you're interested in Star Trek, Doctor Who and other things, you can follow me on Twitter at Tom Selinsky or you can go to tomselinskicouk slash blog
0: amazing yeah no definitely i mean that'd be a really interesting one for listeners of this podcast to be honest um who are kind of we going along with us on our journey from that non-tracking perspective uh getting into star trek uh to read tom's reviews as he goes through of the original series and you know onwards to so you could continue to tg now can i just ask you tom have you factored in Star Trek: The Animated Series? I have,
2: yes. First? Oh, yes. Wow. Uh, okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, yeah. No, we're, okay. we're taking no, the is... to, Hang on. Right, here we go. Yeah. I'm holding up the uh, the oh Blu-ray of the animated series. I've Got That's it right it. here. So yes, that will I definitely mean, that be
1: included. Is... I think you, I think it's important to see that in HD <laughs> definition to really get the quality yes. of the animation. <laughs>
2: Yeah, there's some oh, Disney-level that, shit have you going seen on there. This before. I've
1: seen clips. That's all.
2: I I, I <laughs> wanted to watch the documentary on the Blu-ray because I was fascinated, uh, but I haven't watched any you know, of the episodes. But as far as I can tell, a lot of the people concerned thought they were making more episodes of Star Trek. So yeah, yeah I want to yeah, see. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly, certainly. I mean, we've covered uh, quite a few episodes of Star Trek: The Animated Series on this on this podcast.
1: I'm not sure if we'll ever be covering any. Users. I think yeah. it was. I think it was the one we've actually sort of sworn <laughs> off. I think wasn't it? We kind of had the yeah. We've dealt with that well. Too many yeah. Times, maybe if it. someone
0: comes along wanting to cover a certain episode from an interesting bed, then. You, you never know, but the, the moment we've probably done with the animated series. Not that there's a huge amount of episodes, so yeah, definitely go check that out. I will be interested to hear your opinions <laughs> on the animated series when you get there. Um, you can find us at Pod on Twitter, Instagram... Facebook, you can find us all your podcatchers and such, are already listening, so you presumably know how to do that, uh, you can get in contact with us at spotlightpod at gmail.com, and you can leave a review on whatever kind of podcast catcher you're using I'm uh, always really, really interested to hear your thoughts, uh, so definitely get in contact with us that way, but uh, thank you so much for joining us Tom, it's been really fantastic to have you and uh, we shall be back with another episode of Spotlight covering some aspect of the Star Trek universe. Until then, live long and prosper.
1: No complaints and no regrets. I still believe in chasing dreams and placing bets. But I have learned that all you give is all you get so give it all you've got